What's the contra- most controversial thing that's happened while I've been gone? Ooh, um, how long have you been gone? I, well, from podcasts forever. I think it's 2022 <laughs> it like was the last podcast I was on. Yeah, it's probably right. It's probably around that. Actually, the, the fun part has been listening to the podcast uh, when you're not on it, which of course I've done before, but like I think three weeks in a row, there's no Kevin. And so like you have your own things that are carrying through that I have nothing to do with. It's 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 been nice. It's been nice. Like the show keeps going on. Like this is a weird feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's, again, but yeah, just being a consumer of content is nice. Yeah. You know, not having to think about what it is we're going to talk about and leading it along. It's been great. Yeah. True. Yeah. But really nothing broke while I was gone. Nothing. I don't, I don't think so. We talked about how I pronounce crayon incorrectly, apparently. Yes. Yes. And Beth says beagle. And everyone needs $5,000 cameras to do their videos better. Apparently. That was, yeah, right. True yeah. and not true. I mean, if you already have <laughs> true and not true. Um, if you are selling, I should say, if, if you are selling this much homes and you're creating this much content, you should probably have some quality equipment. If yeah, you're I going go back to do to, it. But still. Uh, video is important, but audio quality. like Oh, for sure. The number of pieces of content we still see where it's just a sales rep 20 feet away from the camera trying to tour or something and you can barely hear what they're saying. That's got to end. I'm still a fan of this one right here. The, it's it's like the DJI um, mm-hmm. little one. So this is a Hollyland. It's a made up Chinese name. Like what the heck? But yeah, I've seen reviews for those. It's pretty it good. Just, it just works. Mm-hmm. And iPhone 2 or, or mobile compatible. Yeah. You don't have to click any buttons. The only thing I don't like is it puts it in mono, which is really bizarre. Um, like left and right, depending on who's wearing it. Right. Super weird. Oh, well. All I know is that I was slacking you, Kevin, and you were out of the country and I didn't realize it. I was like slacking you about a meeting coming up and then you weren't on the meeting. And I was like, oh, this was definitely not in the United States. (laughs) Yeah. Doing something. Beth Russell was doing the same. And she was I like, knew you, somehow something I was like, I can definitely get it to you in like four hours, but we're like leaving a volcano. She's like, oh my gosh, I don't I know. You were responding to me. And then I didn't realize until later. Internet <laughs> connection in the, in the third world has improved greatly over the last seven years. So if I, you were I, like, I'm sure. why is she sending me this? That's <laughs> why I forgot. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's, it's good. On, it's on the calendar. My, <laughs> my goal is to become less important every day. All right, let's get started. (laughs) Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you. We're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 313. I'm Kevin O'Clean. With me today is Julie Jarnigan and Andrew Peak. Feels good to be back. Welcome back. Good to have you back. 313. That's where we're at. Story time. Are we superstitious about 13? I'm not. Oh, it could be. I guess not because we have Maybe I jinxed it. Let's go to episode 400. This could be our last (laughs) podcast ever. It could be. Never know. It could be. Yeah. Um. I'm going to start story time, which I never do just because I want to say something 
that will make people mad at me to get my energy up a little bit That's because I've been though, out sometimes. and then we've got Thanksgiving. It's been, you know, five, six call days. And if you, anyone who's on zoom a lot, you just know, like three hours of zoom a day is the ideal amount of zoom time for any human being. Yeah, and then of nice. course we record the podcast on zoom. And so here, here we go. I, someone asked me the other day, Hey, because we made the, um, market proof marketing GPT, where we uploaded data from the podcast files and you can ask it any questions. You do have to apparently be a chat GPT plus subscriber in order to use the thing. Um, but I was talking about it with one of our builders and he was like, well, how do you feel about, um, chat bots, any, any different feelings or changed feelings on the concept? And because the amount of work I'd just been doing with ChatGPT, I said this rather controversial thought, which was, I don't think we've ever had chatbots really on home builder websites. I still don't think we have as of right now. I don't, I don't know of anyone who has a chatbot service where you can just ask it a question and it doesn't say, sorry, please give me a zip code or pick a community first or, uh, here's your five options of things you can say. That's not chat. That's that's if then statements pre-programmed based on some data set that you have, but it's not really conversational in the way that ChatGPT is where I can just say, if if ChatGPT was loaded on, on a builder's site, I could just ask it, where are the top three school districts in, in this part of town? Hey, I'm not from here. I live in Iowa. I'm thinking of moving to Ohio. What are the top yeah. three school districts in Northwest Columbus? So one, that's the first controversy. I don't think we've ever had it. And then the second thing is, I don't think most people would want it because I think the current accepted trade-off is, well, we'll let this non-human interact with our prospects because it can't talk about certain things. Right. Meaning as soon as you give it the ability to have real conversation with your customer, I feel like, again, the, the sales reps and the online salespeople are going to say, what's going on here? Like, I want to have that conversation. For having real conversations, no, that's where I'm supposed to be involved. I don't want the chat bot telling people, you know, answer or answering the question, give me three reasons why I shouldn't pick this community to live in. Yeah. yeah. And I think that like choose your own adventure version of a chat bot that's not a chat bot. I mean, that's what it is. Basically, it's already yeah. all rewritten. I it's think like interacting with the menu navigation of the website through chat. Exactly. I think it's it's treating the consumer like they're too stupid to find it themselves on the website. Like if your website is halfway decent, they're going to be able to find whatever that already entered information is. So it's almost insulting to the consumer. The sad part is, I Agreed. think sometimes they're right and that consumers have been too stupid or we've just designed websites too poorly to be able to get them where they want to go. But yeah. Agreed. So I've always felt this way. It's like, why wouldn't some builders want to put real progress photos of homes that are in progress when in real life you drive to that community and you see what's there. So it's like, to me, I've always felt like you're kind of hiding from the truth, which just seems really bizarre because it's there anyways. It's not like there's this black fence that you cannot see a home in progress. So having like, what is the installation value of the attic, for instance, maybe that builder particular goes a little cheap on that end, but they want to have that conversation person. So like, you know, like going R whatever, it's actually really excessive for Florida. Like you don't have to do that. That's why we chose this. We could bring the cost down and you really don't need that over there. 
the sales agent could sell that. But then you go and chat, you have the chat bot. It's like, oh, we're R2 or whatever. Like nothing. We don't use any insulation in the attic, which would be really bizarre. And then you go, oh, well, that's terrible. And you research. And so you get these mm -hmm. negative answers. But either way, they're getting the truth and they could come to their own conclusion. Yeah, I don't know if it, that feels like if you wouldn't want to do it that way, you're kind of trying to trick the consumer, trick the buyer, which I don't think is. I just don't think we're ready to let like, that control. I, when I say we, the collectively, I don't think the industry is ready to let that kind of control go. So I'm building this chat GPT for market marketing. And of course, one of my test questions to figure out if I have enough training data is does Kevin like pancakes or waffles. And the first time it came back, that. I screen, I screenshotted it and sent it to Will because it said, hold on, I'll find it here super quick. Um, okay. I need to text Will more often. Here it is. Uh, the answer was based on the information from the podcast, it seems that Kevin prefers waffles. In one of the episodes, a comment was made about Kevin likely eating waffles, which suggests his preference for them over pancakes. <laughs> now that's obviously stupid, but I was like, dang it. If, if it, if it said an answer that was incorrect in, or not the right answer, I think people are going to overreact and be like, no, you can't say that. But if you're using a real chatbot, the potential ways it could go is infinite. Mm -hmm. So you can't close it off entirely to just be safe. I mean, you, unless you just wanted to say, sorry, I'm not allowed to answer any of those questions. You're going to have to talk to a human now. But then does that, that defeat the purpose of yeah. using that chatbot? Getting nerdy for a second. It gave that answer because it needed more data. No, I gave that answer or, because some hooligan that we had on the podcast in the training data mentioned probably sarcastically, ooh. but sarcasm doesn't come across in the transcript. No. Mm -mm. You know, it, I don't know if it was Will or someone just making note of like, yeah, Will is pro Kevin's probably eating waffles because we know he loves them. And that's all the data I had. And so that was making gotcha. the best assumption that it could. Hmm. Makes sense. Sarcasm. Yeah. I don't know. I just... This whole thing, really what chatbots have turned into is just another lead form for the most part. When people say my chatbot's working, their only metric, which again, if you only have one metric, you have no case to make about anything mm -hmm. yeah. out of context is, well, we're getting leads from the chatbot. Okay. I'm like, then, prove to me that they weren't coming in yeah. from another source before or would have come in from another source or mm -hmm. prove to me that they're happy as they're filling out the form saying, can you get me a real person to help me? Yeah. All right. Fun. I'll come back maybe with an actual story time, but that's my controversial statement to kick us off. Julie, what do you got? Uh, I was listening to a marketing podcast the other day and it was, I don't know, Rory Sutherland. He wrote Alchemy. Do y'all know him? He's an Sounds alchemy. really familiar. It does, it does sound familiar. Anyway, it kind of went, what he was saying was kind of against conventional wisdom yeah. and I liked it. Instead of, he said, instead of being the best at one thing, which is almost impossible that you are going to be the best at that one thing, is to find two interconnected things and be really, really good at them. And that's going to make you so much more unique and have a viewpoint nobody else has. And mm. I think that applies both to like a professional career in many ways, but also like branding. Like if, you, if you're only like so focused on we're the best at this one thing, if it becomes like a commodity, somebody comes in and is better than you, then you've got nothing. So it's that finding that niche where you can start interlocking skills, interlocking value um, to make it more 
unique. I think the example he gave is like he knew somebody who was a tennis player, but also a behavioral scientist. And then they yeah. really had that sport psychology um, avenue down. So I just thought it was an interesting concept. And there are so many different things it could apply to. Yeah, especially, you know, right now you, you've got a lot of people who are thinking about changing jobs or not happy where they are, just a lot of movement in the industry generally. And a lot of people reaching out to me saying, um, hey, Kevin, kind of gently like, are you hiring? Uh, yes, we are hiring for yes. for certain roles. <laughs> um, we are definitely hiring a lot, a lot of continued growth here. But the other thing is they're like, I'm thinking about starting out on my own or doing consulting around this topic or that topic. And, you know, to your point, um, you could say, I'm going to try to be the best in the world at one thing, or you layer over, like, I'm going to be the best in the world at this one thing and its intersection with new home construction or new home sales. That's awesome. The challenge is, is that the the markets become crowded. And, and if four people are already doing that, it's just interesting to me. I don't know if they talk about this in the podcast, which is why I'm asking. Like, I think sometimes people have psychological blind spots because they don't perceive that something is already being covered when it mm. is like more than covered. It, it, the, the irony yeah. here would be like, hey, I'm thinking of, uh, uh, of starting a consultancy, helping people understand how to do digital marketing as an example, right? So there's Two already- there's already like a whole bunch of companies in our space who do that, us included. And so the one part of me is like, yeah, I'm always for anyone starting something on their own because in my life that that risk reward paid off really well. And I encourage people to, to take the leap. On the other hand, it's like maybe what you've given me is a better tool to give them better advice is like, what's the extra layer you can put on that makes it different? Because otherwise the only business you're likely to get, at least at the beginning, is the business no one else wants. Mm -hmm. because yeah. you'll have to be less expensive or, you know, some other differentiator that's not in terms of expertise. It's just a term uh, sheet, like item instead. Anyway, that's interesting. It and is. I have, I don't know which one of his books I've read, but I have read or listened to one of his books for sure. Yeah. I remember his, uh, the covers of his books. I just remember his hair. <laughs> He's Whoa. got very unique hair. Awesome. Yeah, I see that. Hair. Andrew? Yeah. Um, so I was on call earlier today and we were talking about um, Google bids, CPCs, and just understanding that the relationship to budgets. And it's hard to explain. And, and I came up with it on the fly. I'm like, oh, this might actually fit as far as understanding when you increase your budget with Google ads 50 to 100% of the time. That's a, that's a range, right? 50 to 100% is it 100% or 50 time? Well, it depends on how much you increase the budget, but more often than not, the cost per click is going to rise, which you're like, what? That, does that make sense? Does that make sense? And I'm like, oh, let's just think about it. Like you're going to the, um, the butcher or the meat department at your grocery store. You have $100 to spend. Buy as much meat as you can. You could probably get away with like, all right, $3.99 a pound, $4.99 a pound, depending where you are, getting like, 80, 20 gram beef. You're talking about ounces of meat. Ounces of meat. Servings? $100 and you have. Quality? So analogy is with quality, quality. This is just volume. We're talking just okay. volume. Pure just ounces volume. of meat. Pure ounces. Like how much weight of beef? Let's do beef because I think that's the most familiar one. Yeah. Beef. You'd get the cheap ground beef for $100. Well, now you want to spend $500. We already got all the cheap ones. 
or the lower cost efficiency ones. Then you go from the ground meat to like, ooh, now we need some roasts, like the bigger cuts that are harder to handle, not as much, not as popular to buy. Now you're adding up and then you get to the filet and then you get to Wagyu, you get all the fancy stuff. So eventually you do have to pay a premium to get everything to spend your budget. Okay, let me clarify, because yes. I think I'm following you. You're I saying so. the store is now out of ground beef. Yeah, we bought all you the ground bought beef. All, so it's not that you personally don't want any more ground beef and you want to diversify. Mm -mm. It's just that you've bought it all already. This is, we have $100 yeah. a day to spend on Google ads. We got right. $100 in beef. 100 bucks is all the ground meat, all the ground beef, like 80, 20, 73, whatever. If you're familiar yep. with that. If you're not, like you need to go shopping more often and, and know, mm -hmm. what, know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So eventually you're out of the lower cost meat and you have to go to the, the steaks, like the cut meat. And then you get like, I don't know, say like a top sirloin, 10 bucks, 12 bucks a pound, but then you have to get filet eventually. Yeah. If you keep going up in budget, you, you have to buy those. Like it is going, there's no choice, but you have to pay more per click. Unless say you're in a big market and you're bidding on new homes, Dallas. Well, there's plenty of ground beef for everybody with a given budget. There's a lot yeah, more or, choices. Or if this is a franchise meat operation. Yeah. If your geography is wide enough, you can just go to another store. You yeah. haven't bought all their ground beef yet. You can 100%. buy that. Yeah, 100%. So it's like I shopping. think the key element of your analogy, which I do like, is mm -hmm. just understanding scarcity. And there's this incorrect belief, especially by non-marketers, who believe that scarcity is not a thing. The only scarcity, they're like, well, the only thing that's scarce is your budget, but there has to be an infinite amount of possible lead volume out there if you just spent it correctly. And that's incorrect. And this is in in the spring market, you might never feel that scarcity, but it's always there. It's just you can actually like like Black Friday deals, they're gonna run out. Yeah. And there's not a replacement for it. You have to go buy the thing that's not on sale if you want it now. And that's why I brought it up because yeah, in the spring, let's go fast forward to uh March, April, June of twenty twenty four. There's going to be a lot more of the quote ground beef clicks available, like the lower cost ones. But right now we're November, December. There's less of those out there. And if we're trying to spend more and more and more, the CBC is probably going to rise for you. Um, I, would, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm still and working on that analogy. this is also, by the but... way, a meat store where anyone can walk in and at auction buy the meat that you want. Yeah. So as it incrementally goes up, the reason it, it goes say. up exponentially in cost is now, okay, all that's left is the Wagyu steaks and there's eight people who still need meat. Julie so comes it's over. not just the price of Wagyu, it's the price of Wagyu in limited supply. And the and person next to you that says, hey, I'll pay a dollar more. The person next to you is from Lennar and, like, and has as much money as God to bid and says, I'll pay $10,000 a click. I want everything. Give it all to me. Yeah. By the Maybe. way, Lennar is our inside joke now for the rest of the show because of what happened at this year's summit. If you don't know, you don't know, but we... Lennar will become our happy acres of we just use their name in jest. It's not because we don't like them. It's just because of what happened at the summit. So I just really hope that on the social media clips, they use y'all's conversation about ground beef with zero context. Sure, just talk oh, about yeah. ground beef. You gotta be, it's more, you get the play. No, we'll, like, hey, look, we'll throw it on TikTok <laughs> and we'll go about? viral among the ground beef yeah. crowd because they'll understand. They're like, mm -hmm. what's wrong with this guy? Does he even know what he's talking about? <laughs> just, oh, uh, okay, I have one more, one more thing. Cause I've been away for so long. Um, using let, let's pretend I'm going to go to, we're going to go to TikTok. Let's I say that TikTok. as a builder, you have content that you're putting on TikTok, which is essentially a speed tour of the interior of a floor plan. 
Do you think it is imperative or necessary or even a good idea to have in the first two seconds of that video, a bold thing of text saying, come tour the Stanford floor plan with us? Why am I even asking this question? I'm like, is this a question or a statement <laughs> rhetorical? It's a little bit rhetorical, but it's it's fun to play the game. It's been fun to play the game yeah. on our call of why would you put the floor plan name there? It's TikTok. No one, yeah. no one needs to know or will have context of what that is. And as small as it feels, it creates this mental friction in the consumer of like, maybe I should just swipe now because I don't know what the Stanford floor plan is. And I must not have full context here. I'm gone. You're gonna you're gonna leave some people there. Whereas yeah. The 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 content has to. And we we know this. this is, I'm not saying anything new, but it's not just repackaging the content for the format of different platforms in terms of size or length of allowed uh, content, etc. It's also just saying what information is necessary for the desired outcome here. And, and that same quick walkthrough of the floor plan, we we don't need to tell people that it's a kitchen with an overlay. We don't need to tell people it's the Stanford floor plan because the only thing you're probably going to get to occur from a TikTok video is someone saying, oh, wow, this is a nice looking home. It's built by somebody who builds homes near me and they're saying it's affordable. I'll, I'll file that away for later. Swipe up. <laughs> Agreed. Right? Like, if anything, I think excluding some information. So there's the, the term engagement bait, which is yes. um, used by social networks to classify like low quality spammy posts. So let's say we could call it like diet engagement bait, where like leaving out like just don't have any overlay, but then have in the text or the caption, one of our most popular floor plans or our most popular floor plan. Even if it's not, no one really knows, it doesn't really matter. Just something about it or like this is our least desired, whatever. Just say something and it's kind of engagement baity. They'll be like, what's the name of it? Yeah, or if the they're, if, if they're you truly want this, comment below uh, diet and I'll send you the file or I'll send you the information that you're asking for. So either way, and then we've had a lot of conversations with that with builders this past week and a half or so too of like, I can't stand that. This is what builders are telling me. Like, Kevin, are you, because when I say don't, necessarily it's not helpful to put the Stanford floor plan on that video. They're like, are you just engagement baiting? Cause I, I can't stand when people do that. It's the most annoying thing ever. I'm like, no, no, you can still put in the description over on the side if you want somewhere what it is. It's just the thing that you're just asking this person who doesn't have context to consume. You know, I think one of the smartest things George Lucas did when he made the original star Wars and he had to go to court over this was he didn't have the names of the actors play at the beginning of the film. Interesting. You don't know that Mark Hamill plays Luke Skywalker until the film's over. And he actually got sued by the Screen Actors Guild because he said, no, no, that's not the rules are you have to say who's playing what role within the first minute or two of a movie. And he's like, that's going to take everyone out of context. Like he was the original Mr. Beast of saying, I'm not putting that up there. That's going to pull people out of the experience I'm trying to create and cause this friction. Yeah. I think there's a difference between building curiosity, like you want them to have curiosity to finish watching it and build in that engagement fading. You know, I think that's, it may be a small difference, but that really is a difference. So building that curiosity to get the full view, I think is your TikTok goal. Cause if you have other goals on TikTok, I don't know, really. You're <laughs> we, and we know you're yeah. the wrong, wrong spot. Yeah. Your other goals on TikTok are not going to happen. Let's just, yeah. as Go far somewhere. as, I mean, we've seen people get 8 million views in a month and it's not 
doing what else you think it might do when that happens. Yeah. So, yeah. So then the other thing about why put Sanford in there is maybe it's the marketer saying, I just want to tell people. So that way I don't have to monitor the comments and tell people. So it's like the reverse of engagement. It's like anti-engagement. Yeah, trying mm. It's like, no, don't no, interact. don't even ask. It's just, it's here. Just, just so you know, um, which that's not necessarily a good reason. Terrible idea. Right? Like, let's do everything to prevent the algorithm for well, pushing it, our content not, further. It, it, not in every case. Like I, I know um, Don Dancer has this sneaky code that they put in on all of the um, homes under construction or finished homes that they show on their site so that the salesperson can use that code, look up the actual floor plan. Like it's there, but it's not there. It's just not, and it's on, it's on Instagram and Facebook, not TikTok. But then the other biggest reason when I ask people like, why do you think a marketer would do this is because their boss or their boss's boss or the VP of sales is like, if you don't tell people it's a Stanford, no one's going to want to buy a Stanford. And we've got a lot of Stanfords to sell. So you have mm -hmm. to make sure everyone knows it's a Stanford, which all these marketers were all like, that's not how it works. That's how it works. But eventually you're like, I don't like, I'm not going to fight this battle. It's not worth me. Like, right. Like it's not worth my like, well, this happened tension in 2008 no and 2009, salespeople would be really, I mean, quasi annoyed anyway. They'd be like, Kevin, people keep walking in saying, I want to know about that house that's in the print, the, in the newspaper ad on Sunday. And if we didn't have a little like note of where it was from, the salesperson might not know. And they felt like they were uninformed. Right. Mm -hmm. So this, this can happen of like people walking in and saying, this Instagram reel here, I want to build this house. I don't know which one that is. What do you mean? You don't, you like, you work for the company. You don't know. So th that tension could, could be a thing, but all this is nothing really than a giant lead in into Sam, Sam's article, uh, which is similarly controversial titled, no one cares about your community name, oh. which triggered a few people on social. I saw, but I, I I'm okay with it. And I, uh, Sam, we're going to, we're going to interview her as well. Have a little conversation about this. Um, but the the name gets gets your attention. Yeah, what, what else I, you guys want to? I would say I agree. No one, but also I I I would I would say I lean more towards maybe I don't know if the right word to use is pragmatic, but like, or also here's my bias where I'm at. You're picking the location. You more often than not, you have no choice in the builder. If they happen to be building where you want to live, you're super lucky. We're not like we have some builders east of us over this way, but like. With us, we built with KB because I had land here and cool. So it makes no difference. I think that's the same. That, that That's what I get for the community name. Like no one really cares. It just fits the budget. It fits what they're looking for in a floor plan. And it fits the location. Cool. Are they going to pick one? Now, if it's a terrible name, like then they will care about it because they don't want to live in XYZ, whatever it is. Jeffrey Dahmer's. Yeah. Place. Gulag like, Estates. Probably not Gulag. a great. Yeah, not good with the witch's cauldron you're like what the heck? but i think this is the key from our article is you know i'll explain the exceptions to the rule but for now let's explore why location and pricing should take priority over the community name when it comes to go. advertising on google and meta platforms so it's it's not that the name doesn't matter at all but when you have limited space or limited attention to get the consumers and, and the other thing that um we don't really talk as much in the article about but definitely we know happens Let's say you're a master plan community. Like my favorite master plan community of all time, naming wise, is called Antiquity. I just, I just thought like, who doesn't want to live in a master plan neighborhood called Antiquity? But if you've already explored it or think you know all the products that are offered there, 
you also get this kind of reverse reticular activator thing of like, I'm not even going to look at that because I've already considered antiquity three months ago and it's out. True. And so if there's a difference, a change in product, a change in offering, a change in included features, a change in price, a change in any of those things, you got to kind of get past that. Like, I don't even want to hear what's what's going on in antiquity because I already think I know. So there can be an actual negative at times, even when the name is great to using it in an ad where you're trying to get people to take a second look. But yeah, yeah go ahead, Julie. Well, and I just think this is a case of marketer forget marketers forgetting to step back and look at where the customer is in their journey at a specific time, like where their brain is. So, I mean, this is a Facebook ad where people are just laying on their couch, mindlessly scrolling. This is not when they're getting down into the nitty gritty of your website, trying to learn more about. So I think that's part of it is just stepping back and trying to get in the customer's mind um, of yeah. where they are in the funnel, what they're actually paying attention to. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. And, uh, Later on, this is my other favorite part. So when does a community name matter? The significance of a name often goes unnoticed, except for that exciting time when a buyer shares it with their friends and family. In that joyous moment, I bought a home at Happy Acres, which, by the way, there's a bounty out now. Someone's going to name a community Happy Acres, and and we will yes, come for your ribbon-cutting ceremony. Oh, for sure. Uh, we'll, we'll pre-sell without fail that thing for you if you name your community Happy Acres. <laughs> The name comes with more than just words. It's a symbol of their newfound happiness and a source of pride. So I think individual human-to-human -human storytelling becomes really important. But yeah. in the context of, of um, advertising on search or social, often less so. And I think there could be your um, GPT example. I think if we take that and we use how GPT believes that you love waffles, which is like a sin. That's you know, it's, yeah, right? it's in the Old, it's in the old Testament somewhere. Pretty sure. And if we take that, take that thinking and then have Facebook read and index and try to understand what your copy is in your ad, there could be, I think there could be influence of having the community name could, this I'm, I'm be stretching here, have a negative impact if there is any confusion that that community name happens to be the same name as a location or city. And Facebook is trying oh, sure. to distribute your ad to people who are most likely to New homes for sale in Tampa, Florida, from the 400s to 800s plus. Yeah. And all these things about Tampa. And then Facebook, like, okay, cool. We understand Tampa. That is where it is. Homes, et cetera. You know, they have people, I think, I don't think people realize this. They have to train their system. So there is manual input, just like Kevin, you were working on. So yeah. how much Facebook dollars are spent on real estate? You better believe there's a whole team that are just tweaking the algorithm of how it learns real estate ads because how many millions and millions. So they're going to take that. And so there could be like these false positives, I guess, false positives. Are you talking about like situations where someone might say, name their neighborhood Zephyr Hills Estates, and it's actually located in Tampa? That kind of like name? Um, oh, overlap, so that's or? a good one. Okay. So new homes in, uh, new homes in Miami, and it's, which is South Florida. Zephyr Hills is a city four hours north. So there we go. So if it is Zephyr Hills Estates, but it's located in Miami, it could be like, oh, where are we at? Is it Zephyr Hills, the city, or is it in Miami? Where do we display the ads to? So that'd be mm -hmm. an example. Like that would be a false, like, well, we should show the ads up here, but it's Miami, but they're both cities. So it's like digesting like two different cities. Got it. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah. So, good job, Sam. That was her first yeah, article. That was good. And yeah, 
it's great. And this is a chunky one. Like it is like, yeah. How many words is that? Chunky might not be the best word to use Enough. for an article, but I don't care how long like, or short it is as long as it's, it's the right I like length. That. I love it. It is a full plot, complete sentence. I like it. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew. Just wanted to let you know that the last Market Proof Marketing Academy of this year is open for registration. The Academy will run from December 5th through the 8th and is entirely virtual. There are no secrets. We teach you every strategy, technique, and best practices we use every single day. You'll learn Google Ads, Facebook Ads, Google Analytics, and Data Studio to help drive quality traffic to generate more leads, appointments, and sales. Whether you manage all of your marketing in-house or working with a vendor, you will absolutely see a return on your investment. Do not wait to register. We have limited seats available, so sign up soon. Hope to see you there. Next up from realestatenews.com, Texas Commission's lawsuit targets teams and associations. Okay. Ooh. First of all, I just, the amount of people that I've interacted with since um, the ruling where uh, Sitzer Burnett that came out and said, hey, you owe us $1.8 billion times three because it's an antitrust lawsuit from the Sherman Act. The number of people who are still like, hey, I don't really understand what's going on here. Um, you got to start paying attention uh, to this. And again, I know I keep talking about it, but we will have Rob Hahn back on to talk more about it. But the yes. reason this, so so the first lawsuit happens, there was an expectation that there would be many copycat lawsuits, which there have been. Uh, one was filed the same day by the same legal team. Uh, so we knew that would happen. And that's going to cost the use some industry a lot of time and money in attention that they have to pay to that. This is interesting for a couple of reasons, this particular lawsuit. The first is that it's not targeting giant corporations. It's targeting individual real estate teams. So in this $1.8 billion lawsuit, it was Keller Williams, Anywhere, I don't remember all the people, and, and the National Association of Realtors. But at no point were they saying, we're trying to get money from an individual agent or a team of agents. Those people are kind of working within this conspiracy, but the conspiracy starts at the top with all these uh, large organizations. This one is like, nope, we're going after, it, it, this is the equivalence of ambulance chaser lawsuits versus like, we're going to take down big tobacco kind of you know, right. giant legal teams based out of Manhattan or wherever. So it's proliferating faster than maybe even a lot of people thought. And the other really interesting thing to me about this one is that um, a home builder is also one of the plaintiffs. And yeah. I've thought quietly about this. I did not want to say anything out loud to anyone <laughs> for fear that I'd be in any way indicted with causing some of this to occur. I was like, yeah, you know, again, when Rob gave his talk at the summit, Someone came up and said, hey, we spent $80 million paying outside realtors next year. If this can all change and become less expensive, that's a huge deal for us. Well, the other part of that is a lot of these lawsuits go back four or five years in time. So take 80 million times four and be able to go back and say, we'd like half of that back in a lawsuit. Like I'm I'm now that kind of the door has been opened, I'm waiting to see how long it takes for a top 25 builder to go at this at a different level, in particular builders, maybe who, you know, we just, we all know culturally, there's some builders who just don't like the idea of paying realtors anything and they have. Um, what else you, you two take away from this one? Julie, Anything? You go first? Yeah, you no, this one, this one surprised yeah. me. Like you said, Same. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting it to be a builder. 
And just the fact that it was local realtor associations and then individual teams. Um, so you kind of expected it. But when I read this, I was like, oh, I thought we were thought builders and realtors were trying to make friends at this point. Um, right. And this felt like we took a we took a strong turn the other way. So <laughs> I was I was surprised by it. Yeah, I just want to know, um, maybe this is naive. Where does this money come from? Even if you win, like let's fast forward five years in every state, every major market, every everything has been sued with uh -huh. this. That's how much more than more money than anyone has. That's 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 like, why I think the urgency for how many of these are happening is people are like, well, I got to get in early if I'm going to get something. Yes. And in this case, like at the smaller level, these are different pools of people. So they're not they're not necessarily going after NAR. They're not even named in the suit. Like no. NAR is going to be bankrupt is kind of the I'm saying that sarcastically. I don't hope they go bankrupt for clarity. Olivia, don't post that clip as a short. Um, That's it. <laughs> but NAR, we're not going to get money from them. But the Kevin Oakley team, the four agents who have been like the top producers in their market, they still have money. Let's go get them. And that's, again, a dangerous aspect, I think, for a lot of folks of like, oh, shoot, because there's been this idea of this isn't going to affect me, an agent, for a long, long time until this all gets settled, maybe even at the Supreme Court level. So in the meantime, it's going to be, whoops, like you personally just got sued. Um, it's an escalation that that is going to be, again, distracting. Yeah. Which I, I it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. Like it's, let's just flash forward. I mean, I, I, and, and we'll talk more about this later, yeah. but I really do believe it's not going that anywhere anytime soon. This is either going to result in, and I just saw an article from somewhere should have grabbed the headline, uh, estimated 500,000 realtors less by the year 2025. Um, because buyers agents are going to have to start either offering a menu of services that people will be able to select from or just charge by the hour. And as soon as the charge by the hour thing starts happening, consumers will change their behavior because now they're thinking about every interaction they have with their agent saying, Oh, for sure. This, this is why um, you two are, I think is, and, and services like it are just going to become more and more popular because if I want to go see a home and I can, knowing that there's not going to be any representation there by the seller, then I feel comfortable as a consumer going there on my own just to like, let's go see it before we have to pay 50 bucks an hour to get Andrew to come out here with us. Yeah. Let's just look at it our own, uh, on our own. Yeah. It, it seems like it also, we'll have the potential to change it quite a bit. Like if you're buying a boat locally, like I'm down here in Florida, you could buy it from a broker or dealer, but if you're buying it privately, the smart thing to do, unless you really know boats is you, if you know a mechanic, boat mechanic, they come with yeah, you. Right. You pay them by the hour or they have like a flat, like, Hey, I'll check out the boat depending on the size. And that's complexity. already happened anyway. You're going to pay a home inspector most of the time, well, which that's is different thinking. than your agent anyway. Like if you're interested in the home, don't even have an agent. Like you want to check out, is this a sound home with issues to do? Which I think that's personally, I think that's, this is before any of this. I'm like, why don't we do that anyways? Like when I bought our first house in 2014, I'm like, this is a person that says there's no hurricane straps on and the roof and that our insurance will be this. And like, we're actually kind of in danger. Like the realtor's not climbing up the attic, figuring what's going on there. This is not a dig of realtors. This is just my personal thoughts on that's where the value should be. Just like if you're buying a boat, you're not talking to this person that is going to help you transact with the boat. You first will decide, yeah. is this a good boat to buy? And then you'll go through the process of, of protecting like the investment through the contracts and everything. Um, 
I, st I still think this is an, a, this period of time is an opportunity for builders to lean into improving relationships by offering support and partnership with the top agents and teams in your marketplace. 100%. Do whatever you can to let them know that you want to still continue working with them in whatever way that looks like. And it will probably change, uh, you know, quicker than people think, but I still think people are going to want representation. Um, one article too that I, I read that that Rob Hahn wrote. Rob, I hate using your name this much without you just being here, but it is what it is. You gotta you gotta hurry up and give me a, a date to get on the show. Where he makes the case that a lot of the people in the industry are saying, well, all you have to do is get better at having the I'm your buyer's agent sign this agreement with me in advance, and then you're covered. You know, a lot of buyer's agents never ask their their clients to sign an exclusive agency agreement with them, and that was always a risk. Because that doesn't mean you have to get paid at all. And everyone's like, no problem. We'll just train on doing a really good job of saying, here's why you should sign this piece of paper. The One of the challenges that Rob points out, though, is um, just because someone signs it doesn't mean that they're going to follow through on their contract. And then again, as an individual agent, are you going to go counter you know, sue everyone and say, because I might have met well. I tell Julie, hey, Julie, I'll pay you 25 grand uh, if I buy a house. And then after I buy the house, I'll be like, hey, Julie, I got to buy a lawnmower. I forgot about that. There's all these extra fees I wasn't really expecting. Moving's more expensive. The truck is more expensive. So I'm I'm going to pay you twelve thousand. And Julie would say, "What would you say?" I'm gonna, uh, I'm what gonna, would I? I'm not going to pay you twenty five. I'm going to pay you twelve. Yeah, pay me more. Twelve hundred. Twelve thousand. I'm going to pay you twelve thousand dollars. I'm only going to pay you twelve thousand instead of twenty five. We agreed to twenty five. I'm only going to pay you five. Yeah. Well, no, I would be mad, but what would I do? Go sue you over it or not, or just um, take it. Yeah. Do they allow like a lien be placed in the home? I wonder. Like, you like could you're do doing a whole lot of things, but here's the, here's the end of the day. Yeah. I think realtors like to portray themselves. And that's not even the right way to say it. A lot of realtors are like Spider-Man. Like I'm your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. I'm just here. Like I coach your kid's soccer team and we're all friends here. And, you know, I just here to help people. So then you start suing people like that reputation is going to change real yeah. fast. Awesome. Yeah. And especially if you have to sue someone who's a first time owner and can't really afford it, they're already like barely getting into a house or they're a minority protected class. It's like, you don't want to be known as a person who's chasing people to get money. Yeah. And yeah. so all of this inevitably just leads towards being paid by the hour. Yeah. As the majority of what people will do and the good buyer's agents will probably like that better. And probably make more money, yeah. Because whether the per buyer en ever ends up actually buying or not, they're going to get paid by the hour for their services. It's so complicated. Because what if you don't end up being able to purchase the home that you just paid Julie to show you? Yeah, like I just the, paid her fifty bucks. I mean, that's the offer that's, again, wasn't accepted, and you're like, "Well, Julie, you're not helpful. I paid you two thousand to meet me here, and you spent six hours, and that fit the rate, and I didn't even get the home. What in the world? I'm not paying Which you." Which I think. People are going to say that will lead to the the free marketplace coming up with more transparent ways of this whole thing happening. Like, why didn't I get the home? Yeah, I know we picked another offer. Sorry, hmm. okay. that's Shoot. that's going to be harder to swallow you that, if you're playing five paid times an hour like, for an expert well, to my, help you. Yeah, lose out on five homes. There goes my down payment. Shoot. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I just <laughs> talked to I just talked to someone who I'll never name. Now, even if you you know put me on the stake, they said they just helped uh, a friend of theirs put an offer, like a family member, put an offer on a house that was in a multiple offer situation. And the words that were said were, 
Well, luckily, you know, I happen to know the listing agent. He's, you know, they're a friend of mine. So I just talked to them and figured out like, what, what's it going to take for us to probably win this? And then we won. Mm. I'm like, that seems wrong. Hmm. That seems like that because happens other all the time. people who put in an offer who didn't have that unique relationship. And you could also say that's just what, you know, working with a professional does. But it could, that sounds, it's not a free and transparent marketplace is all I'm saying. Definitely not. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Cool. Next up from Yahoo Finance, uh, housing market affordability is so bad that Zillow says it will take you 13 and a half years to break even on a purchase from July onward. Today's housing market time. is the least affordable and least accessible it's been in decades as mortgage, mortgage rates reached 8% this fall and home prices continue to rise. So just how bad is it? Zillow crunch numbers and says it will take you a remarkably long time to break even. So first of all, what do I mean by break even in this article? What's that defined by? Let me see if they do they do they define it. I mean, I I have my brain what what that would be what I assume it that it means. I mean, it just says before they break even on their investment, which I take to mean like if rates go down, uh yeah, I mean that. That's fake. I take it as you buy the home today for five hundred k. Could you turn around? Can and you sell it, sell it and yeah. either and be at zero? Because you buy it today, da da da, closing costs, all those things, and you sell it tomorrow, you'll lose X Y Z. So yeah, at what point do you break even to so leave the home? So they included the mortgage rate, the down payment amount, the closing costs, insurance, property taxes, and then the annual appreciation rate. That's okay. how they well, what all they included. Huh. Do, yeah. Can you count property taxes? I don't know. Well, that's why but the, the, but the main are factors there are you're buying when prices are still going up. So there hasn't been a price correction in, in the area in a, in a long time. And then rates being high. Yep. I mean, and I get the point they're making about affordability, but also you have to take into account people have to live somewhere. <laughs> like you got to let, whether yeah. it's an investment or not an investment, like it's still more, you're still, still going to come out ahead from running. Um, so like, is the other option like living with your parents still or what? Like I, that's, yeah, that's or a, maybe, maybe for first time buyers, I guess maybe staying in your home would be, would be the difference. But I think that's, this is taking into account that o- your only goal is to make an investment when you're buying a house. Yeah. But I would say that's only a part of buying a house. It's also somewhere to live and make your home. And, you know, it just depends how you're looking at it. And I'm glad you brought that up, Julie, because what is the break-even point of renting? That's sarcasm, chat yeah, GPT. There, there That's sarcasm. <laughs> like I, I think I don't think people realize like you sign a lease for 12 months. Right. At 2000 you just signed a twenty-four thousand dollar liability. Even though it's just like, oh, it's my lease, that's what it is. So you you lost twenty-four K. Like, no matter what. So your break-even point is when you then get twenty-four thousand back, sort of. There's really no break, you can't have a break-even point with renting, but you put 24k into a home as a down payment. Okay, it would have been 24k complete loss. So I think that's the better comparison because you have to rent or buy. There's no other choice yeah. or live with mom and dad. I I asked my parents if we could move in with them. I'm just kidding. This is again sarcasm. <laughs> no, they said no. I was like, oh shoot. You don't want two dogs, three kids, us two. Well, I think this ties choice. in with our last article uh, from CNBC. To buy a house in today's market, more people are turning to an alternative lender, their oh, parents. The boomer bank. I do think this is interesting 
um, to the extent that this is happening or you're experiencing this at your home building organization, do you have content that speaks to this group of people who are not just trusted advisors, but the main source of funds for the investment? Yeah. Because those people might care more about a break-even concept than like, hey, I want my kid to live everywhere. And, and like, I, I want them to have a house and a roof over their head, but also at some point I might need to get this money back. And so they're looking at it differently than anyone would as their primary residence. Yeah. I think they put 40%. was the number 40% are utilizing um, parent money. Um, yeah. Nearly 40% of recent buyers under the age of 30 used either a cash gift from a family member or an inheritance to afford their down payment. Um, and I would assume the cash gift could be financed from equity that their parents have in their home. Like they bought their yeah, home anyway. in 2018 mm -hmm. for 500 K now it's worth 800. They don't want to do anything with it. They're like, cool, I'll help my, my kiddos out and I could pull out hundred K and here's 50 to this one, 50 to that one. And they could buy a home versus spending 50,000 on a, on their lease, on their rent. So it's kind of, they, they're helping their kids out when the money's kind of, they're just sitting. So there's a investment return there. Yeah, this was 40%. a different market, but like three, four years ago, I was the backup OSC um, for Ideal Homes. And I was shocked how many like, like I would talk to people and I would figure out that they were the parent of the person actually buying oh, the house. That's funny. Um, And I thought it was odd at the time, but now I think we're going to see more and more of this because if they are contributing money to it or down payment, um, I think I there's going to be more people involved in the decision. So that's going to be different from the marketing perspective. That's going to be different for when you're the OSC talking to somebody, when you're sales, like who all's opinion matters in this decision. Um, so yeah, I definitely think we're going to see more of it. Yeah. I remember yeah. one of the earliest uh, sales scripts ever was, you know, well, we need to figure out who all is going to be part, part of this contract. And that's a question that I feel like we haven't asked that in forever, or I haven't heard people yeah. talk about that in forever of like, I need to understand who all is going to be living here and what, who all is going to be on the contract. It's kind of been more of a given, like there's going to be one family per one house, except for in certain parts of the country or certain product types. And you know, one thing is article that I think it'd be interesting to get the data on this. It says it's like in the bullet points at the top key points for this article. However, there are other options for would-be buyers who are struggling to come up with a 20% down payment. Like where did that 20% come from? I know it has to do with, it is to do with PMI, private mortgage insurance mm -hmm. for people with even moderate credit. Like PMI is not, to me, my brain, it's like, why are people so worried about that? I don't understand. The 20% is making you sign the $24,000 liability of a yet another year of renting to save 50, 80, hundred yeah. bucks a month in PMI. Like that 20% number, it'd be interesting if like a, a big builder, a builder with enough that would have enough data, like what percent do you need to buy it for as a down payment for, for a home? Five, 10, 15, 20. And you're like 50% of people think you need 20%. Oh my goodness. Like here's this whole 50% of the market thinks they'll never have enough money. 20% of a, a 500,000, you know, it's hundred grand to come up with versus 5% is certainly a lot more manageable. So that needs to go away. That needs to, I guess that's, that's the point I'm making. I'm like, can I go away? somewhere like well, just it's not kind of a similar argument that. of like why um one of the things people don't like about real estate commissions is it's a percentage of the sales price okay. and percentages to your point as as house prices continue to escalate and go ever higher that 20 percent becomes a higher hurdle 
you know, and, and to your point is, is the hurdle even real or necessary? Right. Um, and yeah, everyone's situation can be different, but I think it's a, I think it's a great point. All right. What do we, what do we love? What do we hate? Everyone, Julie, I see you've got something here for yourself. Um, my favorite thing right now, do you all follow the marketing millennials, Instagram page? I think I followed it because of you. So I'm following <laughs> it, it now because right of now. Julie. But yeah, it's Instagram, the marketing millennials, and it makes me laugh. Um, it, it's just memes and yeah, silly stuff. All these and builder goofy. people following it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think I've you... seen their content on LinkedIn, actually not on Instagram before. I have seen it on LinkedIn. If you just like a ridiculous account to follow, the marketing millennials is a good one. Am I a millennial? I don't know. I'm an elder millennial. I You're, I'm an elder. I so... almost sent this one. You're watching one right now with um, Taylor, Swift, Taylor yeah. Swift. Yeah, and I was going to send it to our designer because she loves Taylor Swift. You know, I that's have an one thing I don't Taylor like. Swift confession. Oh, no. um, this is my. It confession. was Sunday night, and uh, I work with. Um, freshman boys at church on Sunday nights. And, but there's a big group contest uh, where they would have you like random facts or like actions and you just have to do it the fastest. And I made it to the final four out of like these 200 nice. high school kids and leaders. And the final thing was name a Taylor Swift song. There's like 400 of them. Of I couldn't one. do it. I, I watched oh, it. Even goodness. worse. What I said was 1973. <laughs> uh, which is to be clear, it's one of my favorite songs of all time. There's, there's a song called 1973. Uh, it's just got a great rhythm to it. I forget the name. I forget the artist, but it's 1978 is the album, right? Is there an actual song? 1978? Or is that just the album? 89. No, 89. 80, I don't. Anyway, yeah. I got booed. 1989. You got it's booed? a fifth studio album. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't on, know Kevin. a single uh, Taylor who. Taylor who, um, here's my favorite thing. I love doing the podcast, but I have to hop off because I have to actually talk with some builders right now in like 25 okay. seconds. All right. So there we go. We do think we do marketing here at Bird <laughs> and online sales and That's everything right. in We'll close it out. So I'll see you real quick. See y'all. Bye. Favorite thing, favorite thing, favorite thing. Um, my favorite—I don't know—I don't know if I talked about this, but my favorite thing has been going through my old baseball card collection with my boys. Have I talked about oh, this? Fun. I don't remember. So I have—I have. Oh, here it is. Have this um, plastic bin the size of a shoebox, and I've almost thrown it away like eight times as we've moved. And uh, I pulled it out of a closet, and my son was like, he, "They're collecting Pokemon cards," and they're like, "Dad." What is this? Like sports? And of course, like the only the only sports they've seen of cards are base or are, are football. Apparently, that's all the kids today really collect are football cards. Oh. I'm like, well, the let's just look. So I, I I opened up my laptop and I put up eBay just to let them look up the cards. Mm -hmm. First of all, eBay apparently is nothing but a total scam these days. Like the whole thing is a scam. I'll explain more. But like I had this Deion Sanders card. You look it up, and and my son just starts screaming. He's like, Dad. This card is $160. And then he looks up Rookie Henderson, $940. And they start tearing off the protective cases from their Pokemon and putting my random cards that they found into these protective cases. And they're like, Dad, we got to get this on eBay. I'm like, you guys can have a large percentage of whatever you want to do, but I'm not, I'm not getting involved here. But apparently marketers have gotten into eBay and they find these cards and they're like, 
this is a super rare Deion Sanders card. That's not rare at all. It's like, it's, it's currently selling for anywhere from a penny to $160, but watching them for two hours straight, just screaming and getting ever more (laughs) excited. And they're like, dad, you're the dumbest person alive. You've got all this money just sitting here. And then we listed four of them and none of them sold for even a penny. Oh no. Uh, but it was just like, I don't care. It was just like watching kids mine for gold, you know, and those yeah. little pans. Mm-hmm. And they just were sure they were about to retire. It was, it was a blast. So that get out fun. your old. And they also got out Connect Four yesterday. Kids oh. are just hilarious. <laughs> you know, like, all we want is electronic gifts and video games. And then they find an actual old Connect Four set and they've done nothing but play Connect Four for like the last 48 hours. It's bizarre. Oh, that's fun. I want to play some connect for. All right. Well, Julie, I don't know what happened to your, I, I don't know. <laughs> Andrew's got to go to work. Julie's camera's shutting down. I guess the podcast's over. <laughs> I guess so. That'll do it for this week. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining us on another episode of market proof marketing. Can't wait for the next one or looking to connect with other new home marketers. Become a member of our private community, DYC All Access, which is 100% free and always will be. Get exclusive content not shared anywhere else, access to private events, and the ability to join a marketing impact group with other marketers like you around the country. Visit our link in the show notes or members.doyouconvert.com to join. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peak, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. Now get to work and make sure your company is market-proof. <laughs>